All right, well, if y'all are just coming in, come on and make yourselves at home. Uh, like Gigi said, my name is Nika Spaulding, and so for those of you who are members here, I appreciate your tithes. It's what pays my bills, so get to be on the equipping team here. Tonight, we're going to talk about Exodus 1 through 2, and I'm going to make the argument that the book of Exodus is a lot like the movie Frozen. So by the end of the night, I'm going to convince you of it. And so I am going to ruin the ending of Frozen for you. But if you haven't seen Frozen, I can assume a couple of things about you. Um, One, you don't have breath in your lungs. Two, you've been living under a rock. And if that's the case, you have much, much bigger problems than me ending a movie poorly for you. Uh, Or three, you are able to somehow withstand the winter storm that was Frozen. And if so, let me make it easier on you by just going ahead and ruining the ending. So... By the end of tonight, you're going to understand how Exodus is a lot like Frozen. If you were here last week, you, then you heard that we were going to talk about in Exodus about a God who rescues, a God who redeems, and a God who reveals. In fact, right off the bat, we learn about a rescue this week. It's an incredible story where there's a baby boy in a river and God rescues him. It's amazing. We're also each week going to highlight God's characters. I would argue that the God of the Old Testament has gotten a little bit of a bad rap. That people say, well, he's the angry, wrathful one, and Jesus is the nice, loving one, but we know better. We know that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, so when you see Jesus being kind and loving and caring, he is simply imaging his own father, who then must also be kind and loving and caring. So we're going to highlight God. But what I think is more important than the fact that God rescues, redeems, and reveals, and more important than just learning his characteristics, is going to be what we learn at the end of tonight— I would argue the last three verses of Exodus 2 in your lesson this week are the thesis for the entire book, and hence why I'm going to compare it to Frozen. So hang with me, and we'll talk about what this book of Exodus is really all about. But for tonight, we are going to look at one of God's characteristics. In fact, my first point is this, is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. If you're anything like me, you always look for irony and humor in stories because if things aren't funny, they're boring, so you got to look for the funny. And so I thought that this was actually a really funny moment in the story. Pharaoh comes along and he says about Pharaoh that he did not know Joseph. Now, if you remember the end of Exodus, or if you don't remember, I'll just tell it to you right now. At the end of Exodus, Joseph and his family go into Egypt, and there's a Pharaoh there, and Joseph and that Pharaoh, they're buds. They get along. Joseph's number two in the land. We like him. And then all of a sudden, fast forward about 400 years, and then a new Pharaoh comes to the land, and it says, this Pharaoh did not know Joseph. This word know means more than just simply knew of. It's, a, it's an intimate word, not intimate in any weird sexual sense, but just in an intimate. He didn't know Joseph. He wasn't kind to Joseph. And so like any majority people group, when a minority people group begins to become powerful, often leaders become insecure. And because he becomes insecure, he says something. He says, let us oppress them so that they will not grow strong and leave. They're going to leave. I don't know if y'all know the rest of the story, but they're going to leave, right? I mean, I'm laughing at this story going, well, this book is called Exodus, to come out of, to remove yourself from. If you haven't seen any of the most recent movies in Hollywood, this is a fantastic story. Pharaoh comes along and he says, let us oppress them. So how do I know that God is sovereign? Well, Because Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the land. He's the most powerful man in the world at this time. And the most powerful men in the world set out to do something and God was like, nah, nah, that's not going to work. In fact, we're going to see as he continues to try to do this very thing, the more he tries, the less successful he becomes. He's the most powerful man in the land. 
I thought about thinking of a modern day comparison for you of like, who would this person be? Who is this powerful? And, and I couldn't really come up with anybody, if I'm being totally honest with you. When I was growing up and I was in elementary school, we were told America was the most powerful nation in the world. Ergo, our president was the most powerful man in the world. Bill Clinton at one time was the most powerful man in the world. You know. And so I thought about, okay, what, what about now? But I would argue today, now that I'm 30 years old, I don't think America is the most powerful nation in the world. I think we are very powerful, don't get me wrong. But there are a lot of powers in the world market. So there's not even a person I can point to to say, this is the most powerful man in the world. But try to imagine it and then think, he's trying to do something here. He's trying to oppress the Israelites. He's trying to break their spirit. He is the most powerful man in the land. And he comes up against somebody more powerful than him. You might be the most powerful man in the land, but you are not the most powerful God in the universe. And so he sets out to destroy them and it doesn't work out. And in fact, this word that he uses in verse 14, it says, they made their lives bitter through hard service with mortar and bricks. Mortar and bricks. This very term mortar and bricks, we also saw earlier in Genesis. In Genesis 11, God comes to the people after the flood and he says, be fruitful, multiply and spread out. Spread out. I want you to fill the earth. I want my people to spread out. And the people rebel. They think they're in charge. No, 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 God. If we spread out, we'll be vulnerable. If we spread out, we might get attacked. We're not going to spread out. Instead, we're going to build a tower with, guess what? Mortar and brick. And it will reach to the heavens. And we will make a name for ourselves. And God said, nah. No, he comes down in Genesis 11 and not only does he spread them out, he confuses their language so that they may never come together again. If they try it again and be like, hola, uh, what now? They will never use mortar and brick to usurp God's plan. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is in control. God is the ruler of the whole universe. And this is a good thing. Why? Because he's good. I, uh, I recently had a friend who asked me um, if I knew what oppositional defiance disorder was. And when somebody asks you that, you know that you're like, Why? Uh, And I was like, yes, of course I do. My parents diagnosed me with it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But the truth is, I am. My boss, Gigi Hornberger, who I think might have just stepped out so I can say whatever I want now. Oh, no, there she is. Never mind. All right. I'll tell you that story for another time. No, I'm just kidding. But she knows. I have this, like, thing inside of me when somebody's like, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, that's what we're going to do now. Right? Or somebody, this is my favorite line. Well, that's how we've always done it. That's cue for me that we're not doing it anymore. Okay, and you can imagine that worked out really well for my mom. She was like, because I said so, and I was like, try again, try again. But when God tells me to do something, by the grace of his spirit inside of me that has softened me over the years, I listen. Why? Because he has my best interests at heart. He's perfect. He knows everything. He's all powerful. He will provide whatever it is that I need. God is sovereign, and this is a good thing. Pharaoh is not sovereign. Pharaoh is powerful, but there's one more powerful than him in the universe, and I'm so thankful for that. So do you believe that? Do you believe that God is sovereign? And I mean it more than just, I can say it with my mouth, but do you believe it in your heart that God is sovereign? God, you control everything, so I'm going to cry out to you in prayers and ask you to do this one thing, but I'm going to make sure I manipulate it so I get it anyways. God, I trust you with my singleness, but I've got a Match.com account over here that I'm working over pretty good. And listen, I don't think match.com is wrong. I'm not. I, I promise you, I don't. But if you're using it because you don't trust God's sovereignty, that's the rub. 
right, God, I, I trust you in my infertility, but just in case you're not powerful, we're going to do in vitro. Again, not a bad thing. But are you doing it because you don't trust that God is in control? He is. Which brings us to point number two. Because God is in control, we don't have to fear the oppressor. Because God is in control, we don't have to fear the oppressor. Pharaoh realizes this mortar and brick plan, not working out. Apparently these Israelites, they're industrious. The more I beat them, the more powerful they become. So I got a better plan. Let's just kill their babies. It's a pretty good population control pattern, if you ask me. So he brings in the Hebrew midwives and he's like, Shipra, Pua, come on in here. I've got a little task for you. Hey, I know that your entire life has been spent making sure babies make it, but I would like for you to have a new plan and I'd like for you to go ahead and kill them. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. With his mere words, he can end somebody's life. When he says jump, everybody says how high. When he says kill babies, you better kill babies. But Shipra and Pua do not. And the text tells us multiple times the reason why they don't is because they feared God. They didn't have to fear the oppressor. Why? Because there's one greater than the oppressor that they're able to fear. Even though God says, hey, I want you to kill these babies, they go, no, no. It's interesting. Do you know Pharaoh's name? You might because you have an Egyptologist in your phone and you're like, hey, who was the Pharaoh whenever... Or, you know, you did some backtracking and you did your own research. You might know Pharaoh's name, but you didn't get it from the Bible, did you? No, we don't even know his name. Why? Because he's insignificant compared to these two women. In God's economy, all of his power, all of his esteem, all of his oomph is nothing. But we know these women's names. It reminds me of last year, if you're with us in Mark, or you know the story, that there's this moment when Jesus is about to be crucified. And, and his disciples have been with him and over and over again, they, they're not quite understanding what's happening. And so Jesus is, is reclining and this woman comes in and breaks a jar, an alabaster jar of costly nard and she pours it on Jesus and she's making him ready for burial. And the disciples not understanding still, they're still not fully getting it and, and, they, and they rebuke her. Hey, what are you doing? Don't do that, it's expensive. We could have sold that and fed the poor. I could have put that in escrow. We could have bought a nice hut. And Jesus looks at him and goes, hey, 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 don't rebuke her. She's done what is good. And he says something really interesting. And he says, everywhere the gospel is told, her story will be proclaimed. We know who Shipra and Pua are. If you're pregnant, you're having a girl, maybe it's a good name, Pua. (laughs) But yeah, they don't fear the oppressor because they feared God. I was kidding, don't name your daughter Pua. Maybe a middle name. Maybe a good dog name. So Pharaoh decides, all right, something ain't right. Because babies aren't dying. So, and in fact, actually researchers say that Pharaoh, this plan might have gone on for several years before Pharaoh comes to plan B. And plan B was, you know what? I can't trust Shipra and Pua, so we're just going to chuck babies in the Nile. But a lot of researchers think it, it was several years until the kids were old enough for you to distinguish between boys and girls playing. You can imagine Pharaoh's like, oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, ten boys and one, two, three, four, ten girls. They're supposed to be dead. Shipra, Pua, come here. Brings them in. Hey, uh, remember that deal we had where you're supposed to kill the babies? What happened? And they go, oh, the women, they have their babies before we get there. You can't actually expect us to pull them from the mom and then kill them. And he goes, you're right. Let's just chuck them in the Nile. So another woman comes along, Moses' mom. 
Plan B comes along, Pharaoh says, kill him. And then Moses' mom keeps the baby. She's like, I'm not, I'm not going to throw my baby in the Nile. Moses' mom feared God more than she feared Pharaoh. So she kept the baby for three months. And I've learned a lot about babies since becoming a women's minister. I, I knew nothing prior to this job. I'm not even kidding. I'll tell you. In fact, several years ago, friends of mine said, hey, will you watch our baby for the night? And I was like, okay, but no promises. And uh, they came in and they said, the baby takes a bottle at four. And I'm like, where does the baby take the bottle? Like, this is amazing. And they're like, no, no, you feed the baby. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. And so they hand me this little jar and it's got some white powder in it. And I'm like, what's this stuff? And, uh, and they said that the baby takes a bottle of milk. And I said, okay, what kind of milk do I mix this in? And they were like, oh, that is the milk. And I was like, that's the milk? And they go, just mix it in water. And I was like, oh, okay. So at this point, if you're a mom, don't leave your baby with me. I am clearly unqualified. Uh, but I know young moms, and they left the baby. I mean, anything short of a mass murder, you're still going to leave your kid and just pray for the best. And so I've learned a lot. And so what I've learned is that babies can stay quiet for a little bit. They sleep a lot. But when they start getting older, suddenly they start making more noise. And Moses' mom is starting to risk more and more. And so as she continues to keep her baby, she's continuing to defy the most powerful man in the land. But she does it anyways because she fears God and loves her baby boy. But now he's getting to an age where she can no longer keep him. And so she makes a basket and puts him in the basket and puts him in the water. And then his young sister, who we learn later, is Miriam, is watching. And the basket comes along and all of a sudden Princess pulls it out. And so I want you to imagine we're back in this day and age, right? Let's just take a time machine back to the side of the Nile. And God comes to you and he says, hey, you see all these Israelites? And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I'm going to rescue all of them with this little baby boy. And you're like, ooh, God, I don't know if you know Pharaoh wants him dead. You might want to pick plan B. And God says, no, listen, I'm sovereign. It's okay. I'm going to protect the baby. And so you watch a Shipra and Pua totally ignore Pharaoh. And you're like, okay, Shipra, Pua. I'm going to name a dog after you. All right. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, mom, mom's kept the baby. Things are looking good. And then suddenly the baby starts crying. You're like, God, I don't know. I, I don't know. The baby's crying. Somebody's going to hear the baby. And not only is he going to get chucked in the Nile, but so is the mom. It's the Nile the Nile. It's not the Mississippi. We're talking about the Nile. We're talking about crocodiles and Loch Ness Monster, the Nile. I don't actually think the Loch Ness Monster's in there, um, but he could be. And God says, hey, listen, I'm sovereign. Trust me. I've got a plan for this baby. And so you say, okay. And they put him in the basket. And all of a sudden you're watching the baby go down the Nile and you're like, man, it might go on out to sea. And suddenly you see a young woman coming down to pick up the baby. And you're like, oh, this is good. This is good. God, I see what you're doing here. And then you go, oh, no, 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 no. That's Pharaoh's daughter. Her daddy wants that baby dead. God, hey, I think you might've made a mistake because that's the last woman you want picking up that baby. She picks up the baby and suddenly this young girl, Miriam, swing. Hey, do you need a wet nurse? Hey, mom. Oh, not mom. Sorry. No, no, no. Hey, lady. Mom. She's still got milk. You need a wet nurse? And you're watching all of this unfold. This is amazing. This is an amazing rescue. You know why it happened? Moses didn't get lucky. God was sovereign. And there were several women in this story who said, God, I fear you. Oppressor, I fear you less. There's more irony in this story. It's funny to me that Pharaoh was like, hey, I'm not actually super worried about the, the, the women causing my demise. So let's kill all the boys. And who are the people that took him down? Women. Maybe y'all don't think that's as funny as I do. 
Yeah, but these women knew something really powerful. They knew that you don't have to fear the oppressor if you believe that God is sovereign. So my question is you, is is do you fear the oppressor or do you trust that God is sovereign? I think we're naive if we think we're going to continue to live in a place where we're not going to be oppressed for our faith. If you are a Christian and you hold to Christian values, I believe a day is coming in this land when you will be oppressed. I hope not. I hope not, but I I think we might. In fact, if you know right now, if I got asked to go up to Quebec, which is in Canada, anywhere in Canada, and got asked to teach, I would be stoked to go. I would hope it would be closer to Banff because I want to walk on a glacier, but, you know, I'll go wherever they ask me to go. And if I got there and they said, hey, we'd love for you to teach the Bible, I said, great, tell me what you'd like me to teach on. They said, how about Romans 1? I would have to take a gulp and go, are you sure about that? Because at the end of Romans 1, it addresses the topic of homosexuality. And in that passage, it says that it is not right before God to practice homosexuality. And do you know that right now, today, in Canada, if I were to preach that, it would be considered a hate crime, and it is punishable by jail. Jail. Maybe y'all didn't hear what I said. I said Canada. Not China, not North Korea, not Vietnam. I said Canada. If I preached the true gospel up in Canada today, there's a chance I'd be running from Mounties. Canada. That's our neighbor. We are naive if we think that we're not going to have the day where we are going to have to fear God more than the oppressor. But here's what I think actually happens more than that, is I hope that we all live to be long and in the tooth and old and gray, and we all die and we go off to heaven. It's great. And we're like, remember the good old days? And then we watch America fall. I hope that happens. But what I think is more important to us sometimes is we fear the oppressor of the public opinion more than we fear God. We're not worried about an actual pharaoh and mortar and bricks. We're not worried about that. That day may come, but I think more than anything, we fear the oppressor of am I acceptable in the public's eye? Do you know how I know that? Because I have social media. This summer I had the opportunity of a lifetime to go to Greece, and while I was there, Greece was going through just an economic downward spiral, and I didn't leave it much better than when I came, and so they're still struggling But when I was there, something monumental happened in this nation, and that was the Supreme Court of the United States of America decided to legalize gay marriage, which I think we all knew that was coming. But something really interesting happened. I had so many of my friends who profess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and then they put these pictures on their Facebook of themselves with a a rainbow flag in front of it. And that's fine. I'm not judging you. What I'm saying is, is why did we do it, though? If you did it from a, from a devout conviction that this is God's best and God is okay with it, then that's one thing. But if we did it because we wanted to be accepted, if we did it because we wanted to be progressive, if we did it because we fear the oppressor of the public opinion more than we fear God, then we're in real trouble. What I'm more concerned about for all of you in this room, because I, I care about you and I love you, is that is the oppression that we're more worried about. And you don't have to fear the oppressor. You have a God who's sovereign. And if he's sovereign, then he gets to play by his rules. And it's his rules that we can stand on the side of. If God is sovereign, we don't fear the oppressor. I want to take a time out from this story to talk about something that, that just begs to be talked about in this text in light of what happened. Pharaoh is, is doing something bad in this text. And right now, probably the biggest rhetoric going on in our country right now is the issue of Planned Parenthood. I know it is. And listen, friends, listen to me. If I were to tell this story to anybody and I were to say, who's a bad guy in this story? They would say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, he's going around killing babies. 
If I asked my four-year-old niece, who's the bad guy in this story? She would know that Pharaoh's the bad guy. And if I asked her why, she would say, because he's killing babies. And if you think that this is any different than what Planned Parenthood is doing, then you have been deluded. Someone or somebody or some power somewhere has lied to you. Has lied to you. If I came to my niece who's going to have a baby sister in December and our whole family is so excited about it, if I told her, hey, baby girl, there's a man who wants to come and take baby Ainsley and throw her into the lake and let her drown, my four-year-old niece would weep. She is sensitive, she is kind, and she would weep. And she would tell you, it's wrong. It's wrong. And so because I'm a leader, the job of a leader is to define reality. And the reality is, is that Pharaoh is Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is Pharaoh. But because I'm a leader, I care way more about your heart than I do politics. And because I'm a leader, I care way more about being a shepherd than I do leading y'all well. And so I want y'all to hear me say that I realize it is my job to tell you that Planned Parenthood is evil. It is my job but a bigger job and one I take a lot more seriously is to tell you if you have had an abortion, the way that God feels about you is that he loves you and he's crazy about you. And I know that right now all you see on your newsfeed is people going after Planned Parenthood. And listen, it is appropriate that Christians and people would go after an organization that would kill babies for, high, for money. That is appropriate. But all that vitriol, all that anger, all that energy It should never be directed towards you. And sometimes I know the lines get blurry and people are telling you that the way they feel about Planned Parenthood is the way they feel about you. And if that's what they're doing, hear me say this, they are wrong. The way that we go after Planned Parenthood is one thing. That's an organization. God loves you. He loves you. If Pharaoh would have relented and came to God, God would have forgiven him for every one of those babies. And God forgives you. If you come to the Father and ask him for your forgiveness, he will grant it. And if you have come to the Father and asked him for forgiveness, you are clean. You are clean. And I know that all the discussion around Planned Parenthood has made it hard on many of you. I know the statistics. I know how many women have had abortions. I know that. I am not naive. And I know that as some of you in this room, and I want you to know, I want you to know, if you hear nothing else tonight, that God loves you. He loves you. And his forgiveness is freely yours. And if you have accepted it, you are clean. You are welcome in this church. You are welcome in this Bible study. But more than that, you are welcomed at the foot of the cross where the rest of us ugly sinners are all hanging out, praising God that he forgives people like us. So I have to talk about it. But y'all, I don't want you to only hear me talking about Planned Parenthood. Know that God loves you. He loves you more than you can possibly understand. Let's get back in the story. If God is sovereign then it ain't over until it's over. So we start out saying that God is sovereign, and then if God is sovereign, we don't have to fear the oppressor. And then we get to, if God is sovereign, then it ain't over until it's over. This story is about a man named Moses. And uh, Moses has just murdered somebody and then fled. And you might be thinking, it's over for him. Now, we know it's not, because there's still 38 more chapters of Exodus, and so obviously we've got to talk about something. And you guys have seen enough of you know, gods and kings or prince of Egypt to know that Moses is the guy. But if you're in the story at this point, 
You're looking at God going, uh, God, you might have bet on the wrong horse. That boy murdered somebody. And now he's hiding in the desert. And you know Moses is probably sitting there thinking, I blew it. I blew it. And you know Moses knows he's special. Hey, mommy. Hey, mommy, where did I come from? Well, son, let me tell you this story. Uh, your grandfather, he's a little kooky, and he wanted you dead. But these midwives, Pua, I know, the dog, right? Pua, but different, the woman. Uh, she didn't kill you, and then your mama hid you, and then your mama couldn't hide you any longer, and so she put you in the Nile. Mama, the Nile? Yeah, you were in a basket, a basket, and then I found you, and then I kept you. And turns out your mom was the very one who was your wet nurse, and so, baby, you're special. You know he thinks he's special. How could you not? Any of y'all been rescued out of a river? I just had the normal birth, you know? Like, had a baby. Here's my baby. So boring. Moses had to have known he was special. He was given all the benefit in the world. He was given affluence. He was given education. He was given wealth. He was arguably in line to the throne. He was one of the most powerful men in the world. His his grandfather was the most powerful man in the world. And you know Moses thinks he's different. He's special. And he should feel that way. God rescued him out of the Nile. And then he murders somebody. And you can imagine he's sitting in the desert going, I blew it. I blew it. But y'all, it ain't over until it's over. And I'm not going to ruin Moses' story for you, mostly because Gigi's is still in the room and she's teaching on it next week. And so I'll tell y'all a different story. I'll tell y'all a story about a man I know who was 50 years old. And he wasn't walking with Jesus most of his life. And I know his daughter intimately well. And this man really made some poor choices at his job one day. He chose to embezzle funds, and he embezzled funds to cover up for a gambling addiction, to cover up for his depression that he had been hiding for years. And so when it was found out, he was potentially facing prison for what he had done, and he was publicly shamed in front of all of his coworkers, publicly shamed in front of his family. Um, And he goes home, and now he's lost his job. He's potentially lost his fortune because he's in quite a bit of debt. And his daughter comes to him, and she's like, "What, what happened? And he begins explaining how he was depressed and how he's been gambling. And he's like, I've got to do something to change my life. I've got to do something to turn this around. And he said these very words, 50-year-olds don't turn it around. And his daughter looked right at him and she's like, you are right. They don't. But God can turn anything around. You are never beyond God's grace. And so because she goes to Watermark here in Dallas, she was able to remember or learn about that there's a story in regeneration about a man who also embezzled funds to cover for a gambling addiction, all of that. And so she remembered the testimony of this man. And so she sent it to her dad and said, hey, listen to this, listen to this. And so he listened to it and he goes, wow, that's really powerful. And he says to her, is this a man that's a member of your church? And she looks at him and goes, a member? No, 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 he's a leader. He leads in our church. It ain't over until it's over. And so by the grace of God, this dad begins attending CR in Oklahoma City. And then he begins attending Gamblers Anonymous. And because God is kind and he forgives you, he accepts Christ as his Lord and Savior. And his daughter is sitting there thinking, in her real honest moments, y'all, because it's me, that's my dad. I got to tell y'all, in my real honest moments, I thought it was over. I prayed for my parents a lot. And I just kept thinking, God, maybe you're not that big. Maybe you're not that powerful. Maybe you're not that good. Maybe you won't save my parents. Or worse, maybe you can't. In that moment, God not only reminded this man that it ain't over until it's over, he reminded his daughter who now gets to tell you it ain't over until it's over. And so some of you are sitting here going, my marriage is too far gone. No, it's not. 
or I've disqualified myself from ministry. No, you haven't. My relationship with my kids are so dysfunctional, I cannot have a loving relationship with them. Yes, you can. Why? Because God is more powerful and and, and more gracious and more loving than your separation from him is. There's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. There's no thing that you can break that he cannot fix, that he cannot repair, that he can't reconcile, that he cannot amend. It's never over until God says it's over. And you can come to him. And here's the crazy thing about it. Not only can he, he wants to. He wants you. He stands at his cross with his arms open wide going, daughter, come here. Come here. I know you're hurting. Sweetie, let me fix this for you. I know your marriage just crushes you. Sweetie, I love you. Come to me. Come to me. Let me fix your pain. Let me fix your hurt. Will you take him up on it? Will you trust him that it ain't over until it's over? We're going to get to watch that play out in Moses' life over and over again. And so what's the big so what? Now y'all are like, um, I saw Frozen, and that was nothing like Frozen. Uh, and I actually just saw some bootleg copy, so I don't know, I'm kidding. Um, in fact, I've seen this movie more than any other movie in the history of movies, because if you didn't hear me, I have a four-year-old niece. And so any of y'all have young children here? I feel your pain. Um, yes, yes. Uh, mm. That song haunts me. And so, just kidding. But the movie Frozen, I actually love the movie Frozen. I didn't mind that I watched it over and over again because usually I snuck in a nap and I didn't mind it. And um, it's actually a funny moment when my niece, one, one year for her birthday, uh, I want to be her favorite, so I buy her love. And um, so, so, yeah, so I went to Target and was like, every costume they've got because she loves dress up. And so I bought all the costumes and spent the extra dough to get the Frozen ones because those are premium, you know. Um, nobody cares about Snow White anymore. And so I bought all of them. And so she comes out and she goes, and she, in her on outfit, she comes out to me. And she says the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. And she says, you have Elsa hair. And I mean, I'm like, right? Hair goals. I mean, I was like, what would you like? You can have my car. What would you like? And, uh, and she goes, play dress up with me. And she hands me a dress that's like this big. I'm like, okay. Uh, but no, I love this story because you expect it to be like every other Disney story, right? Where the woman is fatally flawed. She's kind of dumb, and the guy has no lines, and he does one thing. What's that? He kisses her, and then she's like, oh, so much better. I'm like, what a great story to tell our children. That's why I like Lion King, because the guy was fatally flawed. I'm like, yes. I mean, he was a lion, but still, you know, kind of resonated with that one a little bit more. But the truth is, is that Disney has done something amazing. They have told us, and, and, our, and they've told our kids, and they've told everybody that love is transformative, and it is. So I love that. I love that it's transformative. But you think Frozen's going to be just like every other story where the young girl, Anna, falls in love with Gustav, Meatloaf, whatever his name was. I don't know. Olaf. No, that was the snowman. Uh, so you think that's what it's about. And then all of a sudden, at the end of it, you realize the transformative love that saves her and the whole town is the love of her sister. I mean, as a parent, don't you love that? You're like, hey, if you keep fighting with your sibling, the whole world's going to freeze. Yeah, it's a great story. It's not what you expect. It takes a turn and you're like, yes, the love of a sister. This is awesome. I love this story. So how is Exodus like it? Well, one, it's in the desert, so about the same temperature. No, I'm kidding. Um, this story, if you were to ask me, what's the story of Exodus about? Everybody's going to say the same thing. It's about, it's about a guy named Moses 
who rescues the Israelites. And it is, it is. Just like Frozen is a love story, this is a story about a man named Moses who's gonna rescue the Israelites. But here's the thing. Why is God able to use Moses, who's a murderer, who's frail, who we're gonna learn more about next week? Because the story's not really about Moses. It's about a God of the universe who's completely sovereign, who would use a frail Moses to free his people. I said earlier that the last three verses are the thesis of the entire book, and, and I, I believe that. See, this, the truth is, is that this story, Exodus, didn't actually start at the beginning of Exodus. It started back in Genesis 15, when God comes to a man named Abram. He renames him Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'd like to make you some promises. And I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you blessing. You are my guy, and your people are my people. But Abraham, listen to me. Listen to me. Your people are going to be enslaved for 400 years. They are. And then I'm going to go get them. And then I'm going to go get them. Guess what? 400 years have gone by and God's coming back to get them. See, the end of Exodus um, 2 right here says that the Israelites cried or they groaned and they cried out to God and said, God heard and he remembered his covenant. He remembered his promise. What is the book of Exodus about? The book of Exodus is about Moses, but more so it's about a God who remembers his promises. He already told them, I'm coming back for you. What is Exodus about? It's about a God who remembers his promises. And why does this matter? Is it awesome that he rescues, redeems, and reveals? Yes! This is an amazing story. You know how I know? Because Hollywood keeps taking it. And we go, this is a great story. And we go, yeah, the baby was in the Nile. I can't get over this. Like the Nile. Shipra, Pua, who? Exactly. No-namers. They save him. This is an amazing story. They wait, wait. They walked out? Uh Uh-huh walked out? That's crazy. And that's awesome. And is it cool that God is sovereign? Yes. Is it amazing that he's the most powerful being in the, in the universe? Yes. But if he's not also a God who keeps his promises, then who cares that he's powerful? Being powerful doesn't make you worthy of being followed. Being a God who keeps your promises makes you worthy of being followed. Why? Because he's made us some promises. In fact, I'm betting my life on one of them. The one I'm betting my life on is that God came to us and he said, listen to me, I'm gonna send my son, my only begotten son. He's gonna come to the earth and he's gonna live a perfect life and he's gonna die. And three days later, he's gonna rise again. And when he does so, he's gonna pay for your sins and the sins of the world. And Nike, look at me, Nike, come here. If you believe, I promise you, I'll come for you and you can spend eternity with me. And I was like, in, in. And look, part of me is already saved. We have an already not yet salvation that we have. So I've already been saved. I believe that God has already saved me, but I am waiting for the not yet portion, which is that he's coming back and I spend forever with him. And that's faith. We're, we're betting on that. Anybody died yet? Nope. We're all betting on it. And I don't think we're fools for betting on it. Why? Because his resume is in Exodus. His resume is throughout scripture. His resume says this, when I make promises, I keep them. I keep them even when the odds are stacked against me, even when when Pharaoh says, kill the boys, even when he says, go, chuck them in the Nile, God says, no, 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 I had a promise I needed to keep. There's nothing you can do that'll keep me from making it come true. So he's asking everybody in this room, are you gonna bet on this promise? So what we're inviting you to do this year is as we study the book of Exodus, you're going to learn about this God and you're going to have to decide for yourself if you haven't already, if he's worth betting on. So watch him. He'll blow your mind if you let him. And my hope is, is that as you begin to learn how incredibly faithful he is, you will transfer that to the promise that he's made through his son. That if you believe in his son, 
then you will have eternal life and the rest of us will all be singing frozen songs forever in heaven together. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. We love you because you're worthy of being loved. And God, if not for your son, I would be a wretch. I would be the chief of sinners. I would be unworthy to stand up on the stage, but because you sent your son and I trusted in him, you have made me clean. And through that, you have made it available to all of us to be able to love and worship you. And so open our hearts and our minds to do it in a way that speaks truth, in a way that sees you and your word in a way that's appropriate. Allow us to study your word recklessly so that we may see you. So God, be with the small group conversations tonight. Allow, allow them to be fruitful. Allow honesty to, to be spoken throughout. Allow this to be a place where people feel safe to ask questions. They feel safe to doubt. But God, may it also be a place where they encounter you. So it's in your son's perfect and holy name. I ask these things. Amen.